Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. This week, we're going to talk all about Sundance 2022, the film festival, what we saw, what we liked, what we didn't like, what it means for technology and entertainment. Lots of stuff. Uh, Devendra, you did an interview with director Joe Hunting of one of the works, uh, and that's coming up at the end of this episode, right? Yeah, the director of We Met in Virtual Reality, so stay tuned for that chat, too. It's really good. We're also going to go over some noteworthy news in tech, including Samsung setting the date already for Unpack 2022. So uh, there's also tech stuff this episode. <laughs> if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a like on your podcast catcher of choice. Uh, also subscribe and leave us a review, please, on iTunes, because that'll really help people discover us. And if you have the time, usually on Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern thereabouts, we live stream the recording of this podcast on the Engadget YouTube channel. You can talk to us live, have your questions answered. It's a fun time. Uh, so come join us if you can. Over the last two weeks, Devendra and I, well, week and a half, right? Devendra and week I have been checking yeah. out yeah, mm -hmm. Sundance 2022. This is a film festival that typically takes place in person right after CES in Utah? Utah. Utah? Utah. I've never that been in right. person, Davindra. Yeah. So. Park City. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I think for about the last two years, it's been, you know, virtual and there has been great portals set up to facilitate all of this. And one of the big components of this, again, in recent years, is the new frontier section where they show mm -hmm. off their VR, mixed reality, AR projects. Uh what did you what did you think of it this year, Devendra? Because I feel like you definitely have thoughts. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we went through as many projects as we could. And, um, you know, this is all a new thing for them. So last year was the first time they were like, hey, we're going to build a virtual platform, you know, for people, people to go in with VR headsets, walk around, see exhibitions, and also like have like a little chat platform to talk with people too. So they basically repeated that. Some things are different because they're actually showing live screenings 
in the virtual cinema now. So there, <laughs> yes. there are things happening and you could sit next to other people and watch something. Um, but in terms of like the New Frontiers exhibits, like they were fine. I didn't find anything particularly like super interesting and just like last year there's also like some that you can only see on desktop vr so you need a powerful gaming rig and you need like you need to plug in your if you have a quest 2 you get to plug it into your computer or you need like a full-fledged pc vr headset and go through a whole, a whole download process and stuff for that so the experience of getting to some of these vr things isn't great uh, there are some i still can't access and i've been like pinging developers mm-hmm. and say like hey we would love to talk about this on Gadget, and I get nothing. So, you know, user experience isn't great. But uh, among the things I saw for Quest 2, uh, there was one, I forget the name of it. We're going to have to look this up. But it is uh, the one produced by the UN, which mm. is basically like you stepping through. Um, it's like you take on the role of a prime minister of a country somewhere. Your country is going through turmoil. And you're stepping up for a, uh, you know, to talk, to speak at the UN. And then your like your stream gets hacked, and then you're surrounded by videos feeds of kids, yeah, uh, mostly like teenagers and young people saying like, "Hey, you really should be talking about the climate crisis and other things that are really affecting us in the next generation." Um, I found that to be a really powerful thing to sit through because it does like make you sit through like, "Hey, there's a teleprompter here. Try to read the teleprompter. Try to stay on point while." You're being hacked. And while these kids are like saying, hey, climate crisis is a bigger deal than whatever you're trying to say, um, you know, to to appease the UN or the UN crowd or something. So I found that to be really cool. Is this a piece called the state of global peace? Yes, the state of global peace. Yeah. Yeah, no, it seems very interesting. Like you said, like a lot of the VR projects, I could, I have a quest to just for specifically Mm -hmm. viewing some of these things. And I, I couldn't view all of them either, which was very disappointing. Uh, did you watch any movies at all? Just to circle back to the New Frontier spaceship a little bit. They call it the spaceship, by the way. Did you ever like watch a movie in the faux theater? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although that's not that's not New Frontier, right? So they have different modes. If you go look this up, like we've written about um, last year, I wrote up like what this whole setup is. Yes. This year we covered a bit. Um, they were actually planning to do like in-person and VR yeah. like and remote stuff this year. Because of Omicron, um, they kind of announced at the last minute it's going to be remote only. Um, but yeah, the virtual theater is just like this. It's a big theater you walk into and there's a screen, there's seats. Um, your like avatar, was, yeah, walks into your it. Your avatar gets to walk up. Um, it is funny because uh, there was kind of a bug with it. I think you were watching one of the things in the virtual theater, Sherlyn, and I was like walking around. I could see you sitting in the seat, yeah. but there wasn't anything playing on the screen oh. when I had my VR headset on because I think you were watching, you were also in that space, but using your web browser. You were watching yes. Cosmogony, right? Yes, I was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So t- people from different devices could come to these single spaces. For some reason, the video wasn't playing when I was Maybe in VR. Maybe you missed so the start time or something? I don't even... No, like when I logged in with a web browser, I could uh. see it. But it just wasn't working in VR. So, but the weird thing is, you know, I was walking around the room. I saw a blank thing on the screen. I saw people sitting down. I was like, I was just walking around. Um, I think I may have even like walked up to the stage area and over the stage area at some point. And then I log in on the browser and people are like, hey, please keep it down in front because <laughs> uh, you you could be getting in the way of people. Um, that was just kind of funny. Like th- this weird yeah. dissonance of like the reality of what we were sitting through. It was very cute. uh, It was really different. It was cute. 
It, it was, was really cute. cute. It was like a Sim City mm-hmm. theater situation to me, where like if you get too close to someone, you you start being asked if you want to join their chat circle or something, yeah. where like automatically you can like your microphone comes on and you can just chat like you're next to someone. Obviously, I said no to every single you chat no notification. It is, it is funny how like these little VR interactions are just like, oh, you're in, you're in a real space. You don't want to be too close to somebody's avatar. Yeah. You don't want to just sit there and stare at somebody's avatar. Like, all of a sudden, you have to have like real in person etiquette. You know, as you need you're to social distance. Social, well, social distance, but also like you know, you just don't want to feel awkward, right? You don't want to sit there and be staring at somebody, and you know, somebody yeah. you actually want to talk to you. You kind of want to do the like things you would do in real life. So that's always kind of funny. Um, I haven't done like much VR socialization this year, but last year I did do like some chats with like my film critic friends and stuff, and that was fun. It's like a cool thing to have. Um, but yeah, I, I just wasn't as impressed overall with like the VR stuff I could see this year. Yeah. Um, there yeah. Are, the movies, so, though, are much better. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned cosmology a little bit uh, just now. I'm going to quickly shout out some of the, I mean, look, Davindra and I, like, I, I mean, I can't speak for you, but I'm pretty sure you did this. I went through like every single project and I was like, okay, this sounds interesting. This, that. And yeah, then like, yeah. I couldn't see more than half of them. Like, I could, I think, only check out just about half. And um, uh, among them was Cosmology, which was held in this screening area in virtual reality. But it's funny because you can also click full screen and then just view it as if it were a movie without being in the like, so-called theater, yeah. which mm-hmm. is how I preferred it anyway. Um, Cosmology is an interesting thing um, that was basically, to me, an interpretation of space in the metaverse as much as i hate that word it's it's like a dance performance but there are three dancers in a like a square space in a location somewhere i don't really know where they were in a studio it was like somewhere in europe that it was being live streamed like their yeah geneva i think is where they said yeah and then um so there's a grid on the ground you can tell that they know their marks very well it's just three motion capped uh dancers and at first i was like this when they first started dancing, and uh, you, you know, their the painters' silhouettes, uh, the painters, the dancers' silhouettes are painted into like different landscapes, different environments, and they play around with idea the idea of like where their position is in that environment. They're jumping off of so-called cliffs or pretending to jump off of cliffs, right? So I was, at first I was like, this is kind of hokey, but what happened was the um, the designer and the artists uh, on this project were able to kind of replicate the the dancers. So there was not just three dancers anymore. The three of them were copy-pasted throughout the scenes and then yeah. also in different scale and different sizes. So at some point, the big... <laughs> they got big. <laughs> they got real big. They got real big. Yeah. And also had very weird skins on, by the way. And then they were interacting with the little, the smaller versions of themselves. So it was it was pretty wild and mind blowing, and at some point they were like floating in space, and like golden showers were like falling off of them. Golden was, showers, eh? Let's a, 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 different a. kinds, different kinds. <laughs> uh, you don't animated. want that in VR, although I'm sure you that exists. Want... Hmm. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a rule for that. Uh, mm-hmm. But the the main takeaway for me, like as I as I watched it, I got very fascinated for, and I don't know that the the the, the piece was deliberately or explicitly saying this, but I think as we think about our roles and our places in this so-called metaverse again, how you can play with the notion of your size, your identity, your scale, your space, the amount of space you take up, or 
are the laws of physics even the same? What are we going to do? Like, I just, I started yeah. thinking of these questions, right? Yeah. So when we, the, there is a movie called We Met in Virtual Reality that we'll be interviewing the director with oh, later. Yeah. I'll talk about that in a bit, but I think that really gets across the idea that, hey, this metaverse, you can do anything. You can yeah. be anyone. What I just wish rules? some of these experiences actually showed that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are the boundaries? What are the rules? Um, and then finally, before we move on to the films, one other piece I wanted to shout out was um, Seven Grams. Uh, it's an AR, like a half AR-ish project uh, that you can download as an app on your phone. And it takes you through the story of what materials and minerals are actually being used in your iPhone or Android phone. And then it kind of shows you afterwards like how the mining process can be very exploitative um, and involve illegal gang types of groups uh and ultimately ask you if you want to pledge um you know to to ask big tech companies to you know use clean supply chains or be transparent at least about their supply chains especially when it comes to the mining of gold mm -hmm. and other mineral materials for phones which we use a lot of there's a huge demand yeah. for them rare earth minerals are a big deal they're important and uh, there's a cost to that so that seems like a yeah. good project yeah this is why I like Sundance, by the way, is because it, it just highlights, you know, it's all these, it's documentaries and uh, documentarians and filmmakers telling us what we're, what I should be paying attention to sometimes, like unearthing these like topics I would never otherwise have the time to dig deeper into. But anyway, films. Well, that's what Sundance is really about. You know, it it's is movies. about films. like they're just really starting to get into VR stuff. Yeah. Um, but films is the big thing for them, I'd say. Yeah. We 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 didn't really quite agree on one of the films to Ventra. I oh, think yeah. this was your... I think one of the best films of the festival, and I'll just get into this here yeah. because I think Sherlin is dead wrong. Wow. Um the movie is called After Yang, and it's the next film by the director Koganada. He is a really fascinating director. He did this uh, little like indie called Columbus. Um, mm. which was uh, co-starred, that movie co-starred John Cho and Haley Lou Richardson. Mm. So I'll watch anything with John Cho. And it was just like a really compelling look at a guy coming back to maybe, I don't know if it was his hometown, but coming to a town, appreciating his architecture, dealing with the loss of his father. Um, this movie also deals with the loss of something. Um, it starts with a family. I think one of the like, most fun and unique opening sequences we've ever seen like yeah it just kind of starts out of nowhere to be this like synchronized dance sequence uh live streamed um it's like a Co competition, competition yeah with all the families it's almost like a little black mirror ish like all the families are trying to do this thing together but synchronized dancing including Carl Colin Farrell, who stars in this movie, and Jodie Turner-Smith, and the young girl who plays, uh, you know, who's their daughter. Um, but also Yang, who is a humanoid android, like a fully, it's an artificial person, but he looks human, he's indistinguishable, and he kind of malfunctions after that. And the entire movie is Colin Farrell trying to fix him because his, his daughter loves him. And his daughter has, his daughter uh, Mika has a much closer relationship with yang um because yang is a cultural ro robot so he is meant to like he is a chinese robot he's meant to give his daughter chinese language lessons chinese cultural lessons and you know this is a very mixed race family too so that idea to me was really compelling and interesting the idea of family and the, like there are so many little things um this movie is ultimately about a guy and a family grieving 
the loss of another family member. It just so happens that family member is a robot, you know, and I found that really moving and compelling. But just the world Kokonata builds here, it's sort of like a near future that has like a lot of Japanese influences, but very chill things like things are very Zen and meditative. Uh, Everybody's wearing like flowing futuristic robes uh their home i love the architecture and the houses in this movie colin farrell's home is like it's a flat like ranch style postmodern building where there's a lot of glass but also the entire thing looks like it was furnished and designed by muji just like that really <laughs> nice integration of it's like really, yeah. organic and like modern stuff like a lot of cl- like clean wood clean like clean surfaces and things like that i just love the look of it um this movie gives us self-driving cars that are just these like beautiful pods with a garden in the back you know like that real great mixture that you get from i don't know like um a lot of like japanese aesthetic the mixture of the new and the old and natural stuff um there's like wood grain seats and the plants in that self-driving car so i just found that all really compelling i think colin farrell is really really good in this and uh, as a vision of the future and something that's talking about the humanity of androids and, you know, of artificial beings, I found that really compelling. So I'm in the middle of a piece on this right now. I loved it, but it's kind of like it's a slow burn. It's not like a really fast paced movie. It's a moody film. And but I love that mood. I love like existing in it. What did you think, Sherlyn? Yeah, no. So that's where that's where you point out that it's a slow burn. And I I think this is like a subjective thing. This is it all boils down to personal preference thing, right? For me, I am not the biggest fan of like incredibly slow burns where like it takes me like I need to invest before I even see any real reason to be invested. I think um, I I enjoyed the opening sequence as well. I thought that the end scene was amazing um, at the start i really liked it i think it was more throughout the t- till about the first third that point where i was like where is this going like i need i need things to move a little faster i felt like and i think i, I think I, I almost think you got to reflect on that Sherlyn. like you need it to move a little faster almost like we need to take time in our own lives and reflect on our own existence because this is a movie that is about existence it is about what is the impact of this robot and also what is the value of my own life you know? Yes, sure. But also, that wasn't the only, my only issue with it, right? Again, these are all personal preferences. So, like, take take what I say with, like, your own tastes and mine. Yeah, but yeah your I personal also, gripes here. Yeah. Yeah. I also, and again, very stylistically shot um, uh, film. I also agree with you that the world he's built here is beautiful. Um, there was, like, maybe one scene that was shot in the outdoors for the first third again, and that was, like, in, in the droid's memory. <laughs> there there like, are a was, bunch of outdoor scenes, uh, but okay. Most of yeah. them are indoors. There's a, walk and, through the dar- there's a walk through a garden. There's a, I the remember garden you saying is that. in the android's memory, yeah. like I remember was, you saying that, like, there wasn't much outdoor stuff. I just I'm felt... Like, I felt for mm. the first third very claustrophobic. I was like, why are we constantly in... It's like, again, a small thing. And then the other thing is I'm also very allergic to like directors or, or f- cinematographers who, who are very deliberate with awkward positioning and angles and framing. Um, not that he does that all that much here, but almost every scene in the car has a very like off angle <laughs> framing. And then like there's quite a lot of scenes that are like that. And I was just like, I when I start to feel like a... a the person behind the camera is interfering too much with the scene. This is like my my 
J school doctrine. Yeah, that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Thanks a lot, Julio. <laughs> we gotta uh, camp this a little more, Julio. Like, just, if you're <laughs> if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, you will see our video team screwing with me a little bit where they're putting. But my this face actually, this is kind issue. of it is interesting. Like that didn't bother me at all, and also this I have a, a feeling that me. maybe yeah, you haven't. Uh, I I don't think you've encountered as many directors as me that try to be so like. Oh, there stylized. are a lot of them. I yeah. hate all of but them. This, this this movie is very subdued. Like it's not. It's not yeah. doing much. There could uh, be more. Maybe it could be worse. I do want to point out, like the reason. God, <laughs> the reason I want, I, I, I am so like uh, irritated by it. it's more about like my background, my training, as opposed to like uh, anything really wrong with that. I think it's fine that you're like trying to take risks, but because I went to school for like broadcast yeah, journalism <laughs> yeah they're like no do not interfere with the story aka do not interfere with the camera and do not interfere like let the story speak for itself it's kind of the 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 mantra i grew up or, or was trained in so anytime i see like like for example if like uh there's a vehicle that's like driving across a scene for example right uh-huh. if the if the camera pans away before the the vehicle clears the frame i also get annoyed because it's like one of the things we were taught is you have to let any moving subjects clear the scene before you move your camera it's it's you a know, very there, like, there are a lot of artists who say like schools are the antithesis like are damn the stumbling you block just picking against apart everything art. i say now yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no i hear you i hear i know you also had a trouble with like the way chinese language was presented in this movie and you know i get it i, I get it mm-hmm. right i get that kogana kogonado right kogonado is is japanese and mm-hmm. um he's japanese I don't know american if, yeah japanese american and so like i can't expect him to fully know right what is authentic chinese uh or I think authentic the, pr- chinese pronunciation the android is played uh the android yang is played by justin h min who i believe is also a Chinese American actor too so i almost wonder like so there are scenes where he is training the young girl in in language right and how to speak and i believe you were saying like his his actual yes. pronunciation wasn't great but also right. that let me tell you from a lot of like chinese americans i know the pet peeve they have is for native speakers to be like you're saying that wrong you know like you're doing that wrong because okay yeah. let's not yeah. okay we're conflating two issues here one yep. I, I won't go around correcting Chinese-American people on their pronunciation. Why? Because I know they didn't grow up with the right like mm. so, uh, environment. I, mm-hmm. I tease our coworker Sam Rutherford because he did spend some time in Taiwan <laughs> learning Chinese, but came back with a pretty heavy accent. But I get it. It's hard to shake, especially if you're not immersed in it. But in this situation, Yang is supposed to be an android that teaches the kid who was adopted from a place of Chinese origin. Um about her culture, her history. The issue I had was more that her pronunciation was better than his. I was like, how did she learn from him the better pronunciation? This is this is inaccurate. I'm sorry, I spit a little bit when I Yeah, said you're that. you're like frothing at the mouth right now. <laughs> <laughs> because I will I will say there was one scene where like he he said something like, Oh, uh, he points at a rainbow and says the Chinese words for rainbow, which is Tai Hong. And he he said Oh, Maymay, which is little sister, and it's how he addresses her in the film. He goes, Maymay, uh, look, Sai Hong, instead of Tai Hong. And I know it's a small gripe, but it's a big difference in Chinese. And she goes, Oh, Tai Hong. And she like actually pronounces it differently and better than he does. And I again get that for Chinese American people, it is 
very like it's a, a pet peeve for them or a peeve like it is it is like an almost uh, a thing you don't want them being pointed out by like we don't want Sherlyn to hear us natives. speak yet basically yeah the, no but but here it is an issue with cinema and I encourage you to watch uh, this video from this channel on YouTube called Accents at Cinema where like the title of the uh, video is when Hollywood speaks Chinese I cringe it's it's a really widespread problem it's and it also distro- like takes you away from the film and the moments in the film. Um, this video, like I said, the title is When Hollywood Speaks Chinese, I Cringe. The, the channel is Accented Cinema. I don't have time to explain in detail why this is a problem, but that video does a pretty good job. I don't agree with every single point they raise, but the gist of it is there. I saw that video <laughs> was pulling Wayne's World 2, which is a nearly, th- that's a 30-year-old reference at that this point. There's so. a lot of recent references. Reminiscence yeah. does a very bad job randomly having It's a scared. very bad movie. But yeah, uh, So basically, bad. I think we fundamentally disagree with After Yang. I will say this is a movie people are going to be talking about for the rest of the year. Like, this is a movie that could be winning major awards at Sundance. I think it has a lot of Oscar potential. It's a movie I cannot wait to rewatch as well, just because it is it is one of those great things. So if you like... Um, it is very much like Spike Jones's Her, you know, which is a vision of the future that's kind of small and contemplative. It's not like big explosions or anything, but it's a world that is presented a little differently with technology we don't have and with a style all its own. So, like, I think the clothes, too, in Her, nobody wore jeans. There was no, like, modern clothing. It was all, like, weird future khakis and pastels and, like, a weird vibe. The vibe of this movie is really interesting, I'd say. I so, agree. I think yeah. I think stylistically, visually, uh, even even the themes and the stories are interesting. It's just, again, the collection of these little peeves of mine made it, like, for me, a difficult thing to watch. That's all. Like, yeah. <laughs> Can we move on to the movie that I think really got you yes. in your feelings? Because oh my I know gosh. you loved it. <laughs> No, I'm going to come off as a big hater <laughs> this episode. Uh, the other <laughs> film I checked out uh, so far, I've, I've still got more to check out, of course, um, is a documentary called TikTok Boom. I've already written a piece about this is being edited right now. It should be up soon on Engadget.com. Uh, and in short, uh, I don't know. What do you think of a documentary as supposed to be, Davindra? Is it supposed to be like basically well-researched and factual? It can it can be a lot of things. It can be real research and factual. It can be like a personal intimate story. It could just be like taking one element of a thing and trying to like dig deeper into subculture with that. Yeah. It doesn't have to explain everything. So there are a couple of ways you could do it. Yeah. Well, part of part of my issue again, a small gripes here and there that like uh, that don't take away from like the bigger thing. The small mm-hmm. gripes I are should that, say like, uh, this movie is directed by Shalini Kantaya. Yeah, and I believe she she was known. She did a documentary for Coded Bias. Coded yeah, Bias, and it's on Netflix. Really well received. Yeah, yeah. So again, I think I might be in the minority here for like pointing out these things, but I do think that like a there were some spelling errors throughout the film. I was just like, how how do you spell censored? <laughs> how do you spell censorship? It starts with a C, not an S, to begin okay. with. But okay, okay. Then there's uh, Douyin, which is the the app that preceded uh, TikTok and still exists in China. The the film shows you some experts and some uh, creators on Douyin talking about Douyin and correctly pronouncing it, correctly spelling it, and even correctly spells it on screen most of the time. And then immediately after that, in the two frames after that, there is this there's a couple of graphics where they spell Douyin wrong. And it's not someone else's graphic that's wrong. It's the documentary's 
graphic that spells it with D-U-O instead of D-O-U, which these are little things, like I said, again, they're just ca- careless <laughs> editing. Someone didn't proofread. I don't know. Uh, my yeah. bigger issue with the with the documentary is just that like it covers a lot. And some people might like that if you haven't had time to like sit down and read all the news about TikTok, you will Most enjoy this. Most people have this. not been fully immersed in TikTok culture right now. So right. it seems like there is a need to explain TikTok to people. I'm conceding know? that. I agree with you on that. The, the, the film just jumps and tries to cover a lot. And TikTok's been involved in a lot of things, a lot of different debacles, a lot of different, um, you know, creator um entrepreneurship is one of the themes like suicide and mental health issues are another one of the themes and just like there's so many things to cover but this film does try to cover every single one of them in 90 minutes and that's a difficult job for anyone i feel like it would have just been a bit better if tiktok boom were a little bit more focused um that's my main takeaway it also makes some pretty dangerous claims about how tiktok is like scanning your face for data that feeds into its for you algorithm uh there's no evidence that tiktok does that uh so i don't know i'm still kind of digging through some of this i know that in the privacy policy tiktok does mention it collects face prints but probably look if you're scrolling there's your a phone, lot there's, there's a lot that yeah there's it a is lot certainly capable for it to yes. be doing this thing there's um, a lot of stupid shit in its privacy policy but it's also if you're scrolling your phone and an app is scanning your face you, most modern oss show you when an app is tapping your camera you would see the indicator appear unless the os is malfunctioning the app has found a workaround this is why i'm saying like i'm digging into it a little bit more but like yeah yeah, I feel like that's and context a for this too. I do want to say how much of a you, you're you're not a TikTok fan, Sherlyn. You're not you're not I up don't there. Use... You're not with the kids who yeah. are watching TikTok. Congrats every day. on being and a kid, Dev. <laughs> I mean, I have a kid, and TikTok is actually a perfect like little thing for young kids who just want to see like little loops of things over and over again, especially things around animals and you know s- silly little videos. TikTok, I it definitely has problems, and certainly. Um, we don't know the extent to which um, ByteDance is collecting data from people. And we there's a lot we don't know. Um, as a successor to Vine for that like short video format, I think it is really well done, though. And the the remixing, all the, all yes, the like, features of it. Yes, there's a lot of great features. Really yeah. Well, well done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, there's a reason why Instagram's trying to copy it. There's a reason why Facebook, everyone's trying to copy it and it's doing so well. Um, but then, as with every company that gets huge, then, of course, it becomes very dangerous. Um, but anyway, not to say that TikTok boom is completely without Mary's. Like, it's very competently shot. There's some very interesting and fascinating stories about creators on the platform um, and China's involvement and censorship and Trump. And like you know what I mean? Like, the list goes on about what is covered, um, which is my point. But if you don't mind and you've never been really up to date and up to speed on what happened with TikTok, this could be a good one for you. I don't have official release information on this one yet, but I'm sure it'll be coming out somewhere more widely available eventually this year. There was news around face tracking for TikTok. It's just, I, it, it's it may not be the face print collection saying. in their privacy policy. Uh, I spoke with Carissa Bell before I wrote my piece, and uh, Carissa Bell is our social media reporter. And she was like, yeah, it's just, it's very vague. TikTok's never been very explicit about what they're collecting the face print and voice prints for, but they do say it's for use, in, for it's, the uh, face print and voice prints generated in user content. And the privacy policy defines its user content as things that are created when you're 
uploading stuff or right, right, right. So when you're they have a search something. feature where you can highlight somebody's face in a video. Right. And, and then look search for their face in right. there. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's taking the camera and like exactly. you know, getting so your that, stuff unless you upload something. Exactly. And they have your face data. Yeah. Exactly. So that's part of what the face print, I believe, is being collected for. But it's a different thing to jump from that to saying that while you're watching passively, that it's also scanning your face. And look, I get that the algorithm is creepy and very accurate and it feels as if they're watching you. We went through this whole thing when we said Instagram was listening in our conversation to serve us ads that are ridiculously uncanny but we just it's it's dangerous to basically my thing is if this documentary has said that and actually showed me evidence i would believe them but they just did a computer simulation don't really show their like source and and research to back that up if they did i'd have less of a problem with it it's just it's just responsible research and and filmmaking i think in Mm -hmm. in the documentary world that's to me um but anyway, still, you anyway. can watch it for yourself. Just be aware like that not everything is true. We're really getting a sense of how Sherlyn rates things now. And uh, yeah. it's, it's exhausting to be near Sherlyn as she's watching movies, as I can attest from Avengers Endgame. Just, I don't know. Was that oh, exhausting? Man. Was Avengers It was. Exhausting? Like you gripping my arm for every every single time another superhero showed up. Yeah. It's a superhero movie, Sherlyn. Isn't that fun? It's Avengers. Yeah. It's, it's just... it's. It, I don't think I think everyone's different and everyone has different yeah, yeah, yeah. ways of consuming well, content. That's I would all. love to know what you think of We Met in Virtual Reality, because I think it, it does actually cover a lot of things that you'd be interested to. This is a documentary by Joe Hunting, and this guy is known for basically making documentaries about virtual reality and about VR chat in particular, which is this like cool social VR community. Think of like Second Life, but in VR. So you can make whatever avatars you want, go on adventures, hang out with your friends. And this movie kind of starts out that way. It shows like how a group of people really started hanging out together hardcore during the pandemic, but they were friends in VR even before that. And then it goes into like couples, like people formed relationships with each other. Um, I won't spoil where it goes, but like relationships go pretty far via VR chat. And it is a really interesting exploration of how like, I remember, uh, and you can read this in my review over at Engadget, but I've been on the internet since like 1994 or so. So I remember like the early forms of connection, at least even in that era. I wasn't there for BBSs and like the really, really early stuff. Oh, I in the love 80s. BBS. Yeah. But I remember AOL chats. I remember like random CGI chats. Microsoft uh, comic chat. I, sure. Hello. Sure, whatever. Um, there were chats for every little subculture. I made a lot of like online friends in the during middle school and high school, times when I should have been socializing with real people. But a lot of my friends were online people. So I had this group of people. Uh, there are people that I still talk to this day that I've met in chat rooms, people that I met in real life for the first time just a couple of years ago after I met them in the 90s. So the idea of online community is nothing new. Uh, but I think what this movie shows is that it is virtual reality really takes it to another, le- another level where you could like sit down, have like a, a, a recreated virtual drink with somebody. You could go to like an amusement park and go on some rides together because people can build these experiences in VR chat. Um, you could go to a virtual exotic dancing club and have somebody give you a VR lap dance, which is a thing that exists. But We've seeing how before, hard people yeah. go. Seeing how hard people go in this tech is really cool because people are like, okay, I like VR. So now I need full body tracking. You know, I need VR sensors on my legs, on my hands. So not just for lap dances, but also for things like 
dancing lessons and stuff too. Uh, there's like, uh, what do you call it? Belly dancing. There's a belly dancing course that actually is recreated pretty well in VR because this person invested in the sensors. There's somebody teaching sign language in VR because they have like really articulated finger tracking. Um, so, and then people come to this class like every week to learn sign language. They're learning in VR, but they can actually, you know, show it really well too. So I found this really compelling. The reason I like talking more about the Sundance movies is because like mo- you, you guys will be able to see these things eventually. I don't know what the distribution for We Met in Virtual Re- uh, Reality is yet, but it's going to be something you'll probably be able to see this year. So I'm sure like Netflix or a streamer will be into this. Uh, I really dig it. And stay tuned for my interview with Joe Hunting after this episode, because we go deep on like how he made it and everything. It's a lot of fun. Gotcha. I mean, I'll check it out. I just somehow assumed that this was one of the new frontier pieces that I needed to be strapped in to watch, but it's just a straight film. So yeah, it's a movie. Mm-hmm. That is pretty cool. Um, we also have other movies on our list. I don't think we had... I don't know. Have you watched Duel yet? That one. Got I did a lot watch of Duel. I watched Duel last did night. Did you like it? Uh, last night. And we could talk a little bit about that. That that is the movie of uh, Karen Gillan fighting her clone to the death, or ostensibly fighting her <laughs> clone to the death. And I thought it was fine. It was. It's a really good concept that is hampered with really really clunky dialogue. Like the writer and director Riley Stern is one of those people that writes like people speak like this in flat affectations. Yeah, yeah. And, I don't like oh, that. I guess yeah. I will have to go on this duel for my life. Oh, that is hilarious. It's very robotic. It's very like flat. And if it was some people to really like reflect their character, that's one thing. If it's everybody for kind of no reason, uh, that's another thing. I also, I have issues with the way it ends um, because it's just, it is, I think it tries hard to surprise people, but it's actually pretty predictable in terms of like where that goes. So you could tell it's a low budget, like it is a semi-sci-fi movie because it's Mm -hmm. about a world where when you die, you can buy a clone that your family can live with instead of you. So they don't have to feel the pain of loss that much. Um, Cool concept. I wish it was like, I wish it was executed a little better. You could tell it's like pretty low budget too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the other film that involved robots uh, in this year's <laughs> slate of Sundance 2022 films is Brian and Charles. Uh, I haven't actually seen it yet, so we are going to have to come back to this one next week if it was you know, good or bad. There, there, there is more stuff to talk about. I'm there's looking so forward to stuff. seeing... There's Neptune Frost, which is apparently this like cyberpunk African film too. So I really want to dive into that. There's just been so much to watch. So, you know, keep an eye out. We'll we'll have Sundance stuff coming up until next week. And, uh, you know, I had I had stuff I was going to talk about here that are not tech related. But you know what? Go listen to me on the Filmcast because I kind of mentioned <laughs> all these things here. So go to the Filmcast.com on my normal, my normal movie podcast. And, uh, you know, you'll hear me talk about all those things. Anyhow, that was kind of just a brief chat of all the things we saw at Sundance 2022. If you want all the details, make sure to check out our coverage on Engadget.com. Right, so this week wasn't just about Sundance. I mean, the tech world had to go on. Tech news started coming out. Like, for example, Samsung uh, shared the official date for the next Unpacked event. Uh, This is the first Unpacked of 2022, and it'll happen on February 9th at 10 a.m. Eastern. As per usual, Engadget's going to have like our live stream, pre-show, and post-show with question and answer sessions. So if you're, you know, interested in Whatever Samsung is going to be announcing, you can come hang out with us while we watch Samsung do its thing. Um, 
what what are we expecting? We're expecting the next generation of Galaxy S devices, and if I can count correctly, it should be the you Galaxy S twenty two. Samsung will have new phones. Gasp! Shocker. Oh I will say kudos to Samsung. Uh, the timing this year actually seems perfect. Like last year, Unpacked was right up against CES. I had no time to rest. This this it's time really around, bad. I feel like yeah, yeah. This time around, I'm like, okay, all right. The first week of February right. works. We're good. Thank you. <laughs> um, before before it announced the actual date, to Samsung's uh, president TM Rowe also published a blog post talking about what the next S series will look like. There is a lot of hyperbole as usual. There's a lot of like the most epic phone or whatever that kind of talk um but there was also um sort of hints right at what the next s20 or what the s22 should be like and they use the word noteworthy a lot uh and tm Rowe also directly addressed people who were like oh we know some of you were surprised we didn't release a note last year there's a lot of note fans that are upset that there were no new notes uh last year so are we going to see a new note? I don't think so. But what I think is is going to happen is the S22 is going to take on even more note-like features. I mean, they're getting bigger and bigger. All they yes. need to do is like plug in the stylus at this point, too. Or, yeah, yeah, because they already support S Pen on the S21 Ultra. Um, but that was like a, a standalone pen. I don't know what we'll see this year, or I can't say. <laughs> and... Uh, it wouldn't be a surprise if the S Pen continues to be a feature, I think, in the S22, along with some other updates and, and size, right? Some of the leaks we've saw um, so far and the renders look like the design is very similar to a Note. Does this mean, though, that the S22 will fully replace the Note? Is, is the Note line completely gone? Would you miss it, Devendra? I don't. I personally don't care, but I also know it has a lot of fans. It doesn't it doesn't matter though because their phones have gotten bigger and bigger, right? There was really no differentiation between the Note line and the typical S line, especially when like S Ultra started happening. So they just just combine the lines. Just, yes. just do it, throw the Note people bone, throw in stylus support. Um I do wonder if like somebody can create a phone that gives you like good um handwriting feel with mm. any point object. So like like a pen without the sharp point or something right. or or like something like just something so you could just use anything to like jot notes down like lenovo's that active pen right yeah. lenovo did that yeah. before yeah could, yeah i mean that would be interesting to see uh maybe that's the next step that uh samsung should take i will say that it sounds like maybe someone over at samsung has been reading engadget articles about how it's making too many damn phones and they're like too, oh, too many damn phones yeah i also <laughs> do think like there's a lot of room for companies to like explore like hey just people still want to write stuff in notebooks with actual, mm-hmm. you know, normal utensils. Um, so I, I, one of my favorite things on Evernote is being able to just like say, boom, take a, take a photo of that screen. It becomes like an Evernote sheet yeah. and occasionally it'll even be editable, but at the very least it is a digital thing that is saved. And if I lose the notebook, it's, it's saved. If somebody like can really unify that experience in a phone, that could be really, really cool too, because I know people love taking handwritten notes. You know. Oh, we're we're getting close, right? All the different pieces of the technology are there. We've got Google Lens is really good at doing like that identifying of words and translate, converting it to digital text. You can copy and paste from picture directly now into your laptop. Uh, and then Samsung's Notes app is also worth a shout because they're doing really good uh, indexing of your handwritten notes. Uh, so it'll actually index all of the things you write that it identifies or recognizes as words. And then when you search for your handwritten notes, you can pull them up by the words you've like written, like 
scrawled down. So I think that's pretty smart. And yeah, we're just a few steps away from putting them all together into one comprehensive thing. I just want to write again with like a pen or pencil too. Like I've noticed my handwriting has just gotten worse because I'm on a keyboard all day or I'm on a touchscreen all day. And like just writing something is not something I, I have as much time for. There is that e-ink tablet that people really yeah, like. That I, remarkable I or wanna, something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Remarkable too. I'm really interested in that yeah. stuff at this point. So yeah. I, I this is a longer conversation to have we had another time <laughs> but like we, do kids even episode. write should, anymore <laughs> handwriting in the digital age should be an episode and we need to get like a really good like pen nerd oh in, yeah on that. oh yeah. alex maybe i don't know um but no you there was other stuff that happened in tech this week devendra tell us all about it sure i mean people were abuzz uh when uh the singer the you know, famed musician Neil Young basically gave Spotify uh, an ultimatum saying that it's Joe Rogan or me. You know, uh, Joe Rogan is out there spewing COVID-19 uh, like vaccine misinformation and in general, not not really helping society. And uh, Neil Young basically, I think after a recent episode was like, this is this is it. This is my last stand. So he said Spotify has to choose from either Young's catalog or Joe Rogan. Spotify, of course, spent a lot of money on Joe Rogan. So uh, yesterday, after we started milling around this news, Spotify confirmed it will be removing Neil Young's music uh, because of that, you know, because of that ultimatum. And I don't, this isn't a surprise. Like if you think of like clout and popularity and relevance right now, like, yeah, everybody, millions of people listen to Joe Rogan every day. Neil Young is a great singer, like a very big deal, but he Mm -hmm. is, he is important to fewer and fewer people, right? He is yeah. of a generation. He is, and I love him. I've always loved his music. I love the fact that he's had an activist a streak. He's been speaking up against racism forever, too. Um, like he is, he is like everything I'd want in like a popular musician who's using their platform for good. He's also married to Daryl Hannah, which I just learned a couple of weeks ago. So it's like I didn't know that either. <laughs> this dude's a king. Like yeah, like he he's wow. the best right now. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, yeah, Spotify has removed his music, uh, because he took the stand, but it also makes me wonder, like, you know, uh, sure. I, I would not expect Spotify to give up on Joe Rogan because of Neil Young, but what are other artists doing? Should, should a company like Spotify be even co-towing to like what their artists are demanding? I don't know. I, I feel like there are some speech issues there, but also, I don't, I don't, what, what other way can you make a huge company like Spotify, like actually think about the social good? It's by protesting a bit like this. Like this is the only way you can change it because you can't appeal to their good nature. Um, Spotify will do whatever gets Spotify more subscribers, you know, and more uh, relevance within the world right now. So if that means paying a ton and like basically uh, holding your nose as Joe Rogan says what he says um they'll they'll be totally fine with it so you know i have noticed a lot of people saying yeah i'm just canceling spotify right now which is making making me think like i think over the past uh decade or at least since spotify has been available in the u.s it seemed like yeah i sure i want all that music available to me i'll pay that monthly fee uh but there's apple music now uh, there's title there's amazon music there are other things uh that don't have as good like playlist recommendations and stuff like that but you know apple music has really good uh 360 degree audio like their dolby atmos stuff is really interesting if you have compatible headphones like they also have high resolution audio like there are other people doing more 
Um, Maybe they'll have like less music intelligence and less like social abilities. Like I don't think there's playlist sharing and stuff, Mm -hmm. Um, but you don't actually lose that much by giving up on Spotify now too. So I see a lot of people doing that. I'm considering that because I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I am thinking about it too. Spotify is just becoming like one of the good things about Spotify was that like of all the devices that you were signed into, you could choose where you output your music. That is the best part. It's just like Spotify connect. Boom. Go there, go there, go there. Yeah. But it's recently been just really screwy for me. Like their best feature is been very buggy for me so i just it's like less and less reason to stick around uh with spotify also the and a lot of personal issues with it (laughs) (laughs) um but moving on by the way from spotify i don't know if you were done with spotify by the way i'm good i'm just saying uh if if you don't know who neil young is go listen to (laughs) harvest because that is one of the best goddamn albums albums ever made so you know Check it out. Neil Young is a king and he will be a king forever. And I'm glad like this is where he's using his clout and putting his reputation on the line. And I am all for it. I also quickly wanted to shout out the anti-work uh, subreddit fiasco that happened this week. Uh, a little bit of background. I am an avid Reddit reader. I never officially joined the uh, NT Work subreddit, but I have always sort of just followed and it's always recommended to me their posts and I'm always just kind of like reading and lurking, but I didn't officially join. So anyhow, the, the NT Work subreddit is sort of just a, a place for people who... who um, want to learn more or want to share about yeah we're being, all tired being, we're all we're all so so burned out and this and and everything especially with the pandemic making work hours insanely long i think the anti-work movement and by anti-work i think this is the name of the sub um more on more on the update to that in a little bit but um it's not about completely not wanting to work it's about like wanting to find some balance and it's about it, it also came up after I think it gained more traction after a lot of reporting in maybe 2020 about how more and more people were choosing to not work, more and more people were choosing to quit their jobs for something a little more sustainable um, for their lives and being a a lot easier. Um, Our producer, Ben, is pointing out that it's also about wanting humane treatment from their employers, which is very fair to ask for. And a lot of the posts that I had seen on that sub from before today and before yesterday were just about like really bad examples of bosses demanding that people show up at their whim and do whatever the hell they want for like little to no money or not even any minimum wage at some point. So I, I I didn't subscribe to the movement, but I like agreed with a lot of what they were saying. Right. So anyway, what happened (laughs) this week? And I'm sorry to laugh a little bit because this is, uh, it's, it's sad that this happened, but what happened was, um, one of the moderators of the Chan uh, went on Fox and gave an interview to Jesse Waters. And uh, basically, if you take what the sentiment on Reddit right now is, is basically they killed the entire sub in in a matter of like seconds. Um, the interview is easy enough for you to look. You Google anti-work Fox News and you will see that video anywhere. And it's Doreen is the name of the moderator, uh, and uh, they don't do a very good job of representing what anti-work is about. And I'll admit, like, I won't even do a good job of representing what anti-work is all about because there's so many facets to it. It's a very also, nuanced Also, you work issue. way too much, too. Like, you're... <laughs> I'm definitely not anti-work. You know what I mean? Like, I we we got to, like, <laughs> get Sherlyn to slow down. Like, I was excited when you brought this up. It's like, oh, Sherlyn, 
take a break. I read anti work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 some people might pronounce the anti work. I pronounce the anti work. Um, but anyway, the, so Dorian goes on, and and Jesse basically lets them talk themselves into a pit, right? Like jesse the the reporter is like oh so what do you do and just uh, and dorian the moderator goes i walk dogs for a living and they're like oh how much how many hours do you want like the, they were asking about like how many hours do people of the movement want to work per week and like you know dorian said something like okay we want like reasonable working hours and then so jesse's like so how many hours do you work and dorian's like oh i work like 20 25 hours a week which mm-hmm. works out to about part-time. four to five hours a day. Yeah. Right. So it turns out that reasonable. Dorian is like a dog walker. And that's reasonable for a dog walker. It's just that like it just comes off poorly, I think. Um, but it became a whole debacle. Basically, anti-work was starting to share that, hey, we were on Fox News. And then people read it. And people just like kept over the last few days, all the reactions just got worse and worse. Um, setting aside some of the unnecessary uh, discrimination against trans people that's happening because Dorian happens to be a trans person. Um, the ans- What happened here that was really adding fuel to an already raging dumpster fire was that the mods of, um, especially Dorian, I believe, refused to kind of like admit that they should have been better prepared or like they could have handled that interview a little better. Um and a lot of the criticism on on this now is about how Doreen appeared on the interview, which I was like, eh, y'all can stop yeah, making comments I, I, about I don't, their appearance. I there don't aren't really care. any good faith arguments here coming from the Fox side, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have a lot of like actual criticism against Doreen themselves. Like I, I'm yeah. like, yeah, you you did your best I, I in think- an interview. Yeah, maybe for especially for movements like this, like maybe watch out like where you go, because not yeah. everywhere is going to be friendly to you. And a lot of people want to destroy you. And right. I think well, that, yeah. Yeah. You see part that. of part of my gripe with this issue, and I promise I'll wrap this up really soon, is that like so what happened was anti-work then got uh, take like it went on offline. It just like it just like got taken private. And I think the mods are sorting out what's happened because like a lot of uh, Redditors were calling for the mods to like apologize or will, you know, or like never, ever take an interview again and et cetera. And, and I think the mods just weren't really admitting any wrongdoing on their part. Um, which is what led to eventually, I think, a lot of angry uh, Redditors posting more and more. And so when they finally took it offline, now people are joining a new subreddit called Work Reform. And Work Reform, a lot of people are also commenting, it's a better name, etc. But in, in, this, in the midst of all of this drama, the rest of Reddit... <laughs> was also brought in. I think this is where I have my gripe, which is that like, okay, look, I first started seeing it on anti-work, yes. But then it started popping out on our popular and our uh, subreddit drama and our cringe and our sad cringe and like all the things that I actually follow, which is funny. But what what struck me was when I finally saw an R on our LPT, which is live pro tips and the live pro tips, it's all subtweets basically. Like everyone that's been talking about anti-works drama has been subtweeting the issue by going into other popular subs and saying, don't do, don't go on an interview yeah. if you're not going to comb your hair. I was well, like, no, also, don't, it's, it's that's Fox not news, a tip. People. Yeah. It is, it also is be Fox careful. News. Like, yeah, be careful of where you go. Uh, I want to <laughs> say like, how much is this, is this at all related to like the lay flat movement too? like just people just kind of giving up in a sense, or is this, not, is it no. mainly humane work or is it like it's, just people yeah. saying like, I am 
I'm done. I'm physically so, and emotionally done with all this it's, stuff. It, it's half. It's not. I haven't seen any mention of lay flat in anti work, and maybe I haven't been paying attention to the list. It is because it, it does seem like a symptom of it, of like an yes. overworked culture just burning people out completely. But, to the but point where, really quickly yeah. before we move on to another point, I just want to point out that the life yeah. pro tips uh, post was like. <laughs> I'm sorry. One point I have to defend. I have to defend people in the media here because it's my job you're you're talking about. And they go like, media always wants to like uh, uh, exploit you. Like it, it more or less like says that the media is always here to to make you look bad. And I'm like, no, that's a really unfair representation of media. I think you have to when you say media, don't yeah. don't label us all. And that, the same that is thing. what a lot of people think. Like it's not. We're I, not it's not awful fair. People. It's not fair. Um, but man, it is it is a shame where bad reporters where people have an, like an experience with bad reporters like that's happened even to me and people I know who people who sat for an interview with like Business Week uh, by the point the article about them comes out, the quotes yeah. are wrong. They are yeah. misconstruing what yeah. they're saying. And you exactly. have very little power to like kind of change that too. So th- I understand it's the not all of us. Like, yeah. Please. Not all of us, but people have experiences and it sucks. Like, yeah. There are bad I almost go out, out of too. my way to make sure like I get what my source is saying, interpret yeah. it correctly. Yeah. Like ble- not all media, but be careful which media outlets you pick. That's that's what uh-huh. I think the LPP should have been. <laughs> anyway, back to what you're saying about lay flat. Uh you're talking mm-hmm. about uh, uh, the idea that what laying flat you just giving up, right? Like yeah. let life I d- wash I don't want to get anymore and uh, I don't want to like get up anymore. And that right. basically was a big thing it started like in china right because people were tired of working 60 to 80 hours a week with barely any breaks and it it is kind of heartbreaking like how much how much the pressure of work on a culture can really just yeah. break people i guess exactly. so yeah it's all kind of related we'll be it probably is related. talking about some of this For we'll sure. all try to work a little less i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yes i think hard. so I think so. Yeah. I think at least Engadget treats its employees well. I mean, y'all are always telling me to take a break. It's just me mm. trying to kill myself. But anyhow, yep. that's something that happened this week. Overnight, uh, the r slash work reform has gained, what, hundreds of thousands of subscribers now. Uh, and it's only gaining momentum. And if you're interested in this at all, there's plenty of coverage out there on it. So do check it out. So now we thought we'd take a little uh, moment to thank the people who've been sending in some nice and kind feedback and questions to our email, which is podcast.engadget.com. Uh, this week, we got one from Enrique from Salvador, Brazil, um, who told us that they liked the show, that the last uh, episode was one of their favorites. Um you know, the one about the James Webb telescope and the Microsoft Activision story. Uh, so, hey, Enrique, we really, really appreciate the time you took to write such nice words. Um, we're doing our best and always. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. dude, it was so nice. Uh, <laughs> I especially appreciate it that Enrique was like, oh, I love that uh, Sherlin and Dev are skeptical at heart because, yeah, we need to cut through the marketing bullshit i'm paraphrasing um so yeah it's good to know we i, I mean i live for validation like this i don't know about the vendor um, so you made my i way. mean i'm glad to know somebody has at least listened to the episode and processed right? like individual segments so it's hard to tell it's hard to tell yes. people are actually listening yeah exactly this is like enrique is not someone i know in real life you know what i mean like this a person listen to our podcast that's not my friend that's awesome so anyway Thank you. We appreciate it. There's more too. Uh, ben, did you want to tell us about some of the other listener mail? Yes. So a while ago, 
a while mm. ago um, on the August 13th episode of the show, we had um, Michael, Mr. Mobile Fisher on to talk mm. about Samsung's new foldables, the Z Fold 3 and the Z Flip 3. And he said something about how he can't walk down the street using these foldables in New York City right, um, right. without someone stopping him and saying like, hey, like, what's that? Like, that looks really cool. Right. And so we were wondering, you know, is are the Samsung foldables something that only appears in, you know, maybe a few cities around um, the world, maybe like New York and San Francisco in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And someone came into our YouTube chat and said, actually, you're not going to believe this, but I work in a post office in Alaska. So this is um, Kyle from Alaska first started commenting on the YouTube chat and then sent us an email about how many people in Alaska um, have these big foldable phones. And it's for a couple of reasons. The first is oil field workers. Oil field workers make a lot of money and they seem to like having the newest tech. And who gets the oil field workers their tech? Kyle from Alaska. Um, and also, um, similar to or connected to the oil field issue, um, every Alaska resident gets a payment for the use of their the land in the state. Dev, do you know anything about this? I mean, I, I've heard a little bit about it, but it's uh, I mean, it's just a small. It's what a thousand bucks. Yeah, it's not very big, but it's a it's a thing people can rely on. You know? Yeah, yeah. So um, Kyle says that every year Alaska residents get a thousand dollar payment coming from oil money, and so everyone gets an opportunity for at least one big tech purchase. It's not earmarked for tech, but that's um, frequently what people end up spending it on. And so when uh, Kyle originally sent this email, he said in the small post office, um, he's seen some Pixel 4s come through, some Samsung S21s come through, um, tons of people get earbuds, a Galaxy watch. Um, so it's not just the big cities. But those, those aren't foldables. No, no. Those, those aren't, aren't foldables. Those, aren't those fold are normal devices. Those aren't foldables. But he said that he's seen some um, Z Fold 3s come through as well, I mm -hmm. believe. Um, nice. And so I caught up with Kyle um, just before taping this episode, asked for um, an update on what's happening in Alaska. Um, the tech news coming from Alaska is that there is literally one... Um, Tesla uh, repair vehicle for the entire state. So sometimes they'll have to drive 300 miles just to get people a spare tire. And um, this summer, apparently there is a big electric vehicle charging corridor um, coming in to connect two of the major cities in the state. So you will soon be able to drive all of your EVs in the most northern state in America. So thank you for emailing us about that and uh, keeping us updated on the Great White North, Kyle. Thank you for all your uh, mail. Uh, I promise you we read them. And uh, whenever we get a chance, we love to we love to thank you guys on the show as well. So uh, keep them coming. Write us at podcast at Engadget.com.
let's move on to what we've been working on. And, uh, you know, we, we're still in the middle of Sundance. We'll probably have some pieces coming out next week as well, uh, because this is a big show. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to write about. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for all that. I'm also going to be getting HP Spectre uh, X360 16 inch laptop in soon. And uh, we like the Spectre line. I like convertibles and this could be a big boy convertible. So I'm really interested in seeing like how this thing uh, goes and how it performs. Uh, Sherlyn, what are you working on? Uh, it's pretty obvious, right? With Samsung having announced to unpack this coming up, there's a little bit of unpacked prep that i am working on i'm also uh doing sundance with you def and then there's one thing i've been testing lately that i want to keep a surprise because i don't want other people to know yet because i don't want other outlets to get a jump <laughs> but you will know <laughs> by next week what i am talking about and i think y'all are gonna like this one so uh, stay tuned to engadget.com you know <laughs> For sure. And we're not doing any pop culture picks this week because, hey, we just talked a lot about Sundance. Mm -hmm. But I do want to remind you all, we have an interview with Joe Hunting, the director of We Met in Virtual Reality. That'll be at the end of this episode. So stay tuned for that. And that's it, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Sherlyn online at... Hey, if you can, if you share similar movie tastes with me and hate all the things that I do, you can tell me on Twitter. I'm at Sherlyn Lowe. Yeah, uh, I can't wait till your new podcast, Sherlyn Nitpick Pod. Just, just all the nits. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> yes. pick them. Uh, you can find me online at, at Devendra on Twitter. I also talk about movies and TV at the Filmcast at thefilmcast.com. We just reviewed Station Eleven, uh, the entire series. And it's fantastic, so go check that out. And uh, email us at podcastandgadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. You know, Spotify for now. For now. Now let's move on to our interview with Joe Hunting, the director of We Met in Virtual Reality, which just premiered at the Sundance Film Festival this year. You can check out my full review of this movie on the site, but overall, I really liked it. I thought it was a really compelling portrait of people who made relationships and, you know, friendships within VR chat, which is this really cool uh, VR social community that's been around for several years. So take a listen to our chat. And hopefully you'll be able to check out this movie soon, too. Uh, I don't believe there are any distribution deals yet, but these are the sorts of things that will end up being streamable or, you know, on video on demand or something within this year. Joe, thank you so much for joining us on the Engadget podcast. Can you introduce yourself and, uh, you know, what you do? Because I believe it's a lot of like VR direction and VR capture at this point, right? Mm. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on. Um, my name is Joe Hunting. I'm a director and filmmaker kind of focused on directing documentary work in VR, in social VR. And for the past two or three years now, I've been working inside VR Chat, which is a user-created social VR platform. And I've been kind of sharing stories from that world Um and I've just wrapped on my first feature documentary, which is going to be premiering at Sundance, uh, well, tomorrow at the time of this recording, um, which is an extremely exciting moment to be in. <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely. But there's a little bit about me. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I, you know, I saw the film we met in virtual reality. I thought it was really, really intriguing, Joe. And 
I'm wondering, like, where are you coming at VR from? You know, have you been following it since uh, the launch of the consumer VR headsets? Do you have an interest from before? What was mm. the big spark for, you know, following VR for you? Mm. Well, I think I first kind of got my teeth into experiencing social VR in the summer of 2018. Um, mm-hmm. I'd seen VR and was aware of VR prior to that. Um, and I've always been really excited to buy it because I've been a person who's engaged in online communities and I've always played games as well as growing up. So, you know, VR and entertainment and um, being in immersive worlds was something that was immediately natural and exciting to me. But in regards to film and, you know, getting into social VR, that was in the summer of 2018. And it was really inspired by this article I read that featured um, a handful of different quotes from people um, who were sharing how VR chat had really affected their uh, forms of relate forms of uh, relationships and um, you know profoundly brought them out of dark places that they were in and this article was was so inspiring to me at the time of studying and um, studying film and wanting to to tell stories uh, about online communities and themes around mental health and expression that I kind of immediately made my first short documentary and released it in 2019. And from there kind of fell into this inspiration and curiosity to tell more stories from the platform um, and have been kind of on that path uh, for a while and decided to, you know, bring a lot of inspirations and, and feelings into the, making a feature film. And, and I did that and I'm very <laughs> pleased that I did. It's been more, you know the best thing Um my most creatively rewarding experience uh, making a film and uh, shares a lot of insight into VR that I was really passionate about. Great, great. It sounds like, I think like any good documentarian, you saw this subject and you were like, I gotta, I gotta get in this. I have to explore this. That's, you know, that's really fascinating because I, I've talked to other documentary directors, you know, who do this for stuff in real life. Um, but to start like to delve into virtual worlds is certainly a new and fresh thing. Um, do you have experience with online communities, you know, from before VR? Like, have you done Second Life or just like, you know, big chat rooms from back in the day? Because uh, it sounds like uh, if you were going through college uh, just a few years ago, you're probably much, much younger than me. But <laughs> the VR chat world and everything really reminds me of the chat rooms of the 90s. You know, the the internet when things was kind of, it was kind of the Wild West. It was geeks getting together to talk about anime and Sailor Moon and video mm, games and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, the geeks had not conquered the world as they have today, basically, because now everything is kind of geek pop culture. What is your like earliest experiences with digital communities? Well, oh, yes, that I, I think in terms of really finding belonging in a community, it definitely came in VR chat for me. Um, so that was, that was the first time I'd really gotten involved in an online community. I had not been in Second Life or like Habbo Hotel, another yeah. online it's a, social yeah. platform. Not many people were it. in Second Life. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the one that I did go on was Toontown, the, that one, which, uh, maybe would hurt my integrity to admit that, but that was one that I played a bunch. Uh, <laughs> um, so those, those, I've definitely had my time in, in, uh, those early online platforms. Um, but I think finding, um, like a genuine, um, friendship and relationship with people and, and really finding a community that came in VR chat. And that really came through making, uh, films and wanting to, to tell stories and do documentary work and photography as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 
love, you know, art and travel and meeting cultures and getting to know different people. And so VR chat really provided everything there. Um, yeah. The, the the movie almost feels like you're you're treating VR tra- chat like an anthropological study. You know, you're mm. going out there, you're exploring these communities and hanging out with them. Uh, we see some emotional moments. You know, we see, uh, you know, a wedding at one point, not to spoil too much. But, you know, that was all really fascinating to me. Um, but the movie also shows people going to things like amusement parks and, you know, hanging out, living their lives in VR. I feel like now that uh, Mark Zuckerberg started talking about the metaverse and renamed his company to Meta, now everybody's talking about that. Do you feel like mm. you know this is a prototype for what the vision of the metaverse is for Zuck and so many tech billionaires? Mm. I well, actually, in my opinion, I, I've, I although I think it, I want it to be, I want it to share a message and a vision for the future of VR. What I want, I hope people will take away from We Met in Virtual Reality is is not for what VR is going to be, but what is existing already and what is already happening. Um, And through that, we'll provide a truth of, uh, you know, how to approach and the attitudes towards, um, yeah, the new metaverse that is being birthed um, in current time. Um, So the film is, is much more interested in the existing communities and the, the relationships that are, are already happening and recognizing representing um, the communities that I think have, have really pioneered um, the technology and, and social VR. And I, I want to inform people who are learning about it for the first time, you know, how we've already gone through a lot of motions with social VR communities and, and building, building that out. And I think it's precious to represent, to recognize that and see what attitudes are important in terms of, you know, finding relationships, accessibility, and um, and education as well. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, it does. It just looking at this film, and I've I've chat, I've done a bit of VR chat stuff too, not to the extent that you have. Um, it does feel like a proto metaverse to me. Uh, does it feel like something? You know, is it approachable to general users? Because I feel like the the when the internet became mainstream was when everybody could get online, everybody could get on AIM or something and chat with their friends. Has it reached that point? Or do you think like there's still Mm. work to do in terms of VR hardware and comfort and things like that? I think there is still some steps to take in, in, in creating a social VR platform um, or platforms that brings VR into the mainstream. We think we've certainly not in terms of the hardware hit mainstream yet. That's something that I think is certainly going to come in um, in the not so distant future. And I actually think that, you know, with Facebook's announcement with Meta and they're building their own social VR platform, I think that their platform will be really accessible for people um, and will be positive for so many people as well. Um, I just think the geeks of the world and the people who want freedom of expression and self-expression, you know, and that kind of speaks to myself as well, there'll always be the people who stay in VR chat or the, the platforms that give creative, full creative freedom. So I think, yeah, we've, we've still got ways to go. VR headsets are also very expensive still um, uh, in some ways with full body tracking. Um, you know, the, the full gear is still very expensive mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and is improving. So it's, it's early days, um, but just in terms of the platforms and socializing, I think there'll always be multiple platforms. I never think that there'll just be one. And I think that's fine and good. Um, I know that I'll always stay in the creative platforms um, and maybe dip into those more accessible, just jump jump in and play 
um, you know, like Facebook horizons when, right, um, right. when I want to. Um, so there's this kind of just two different audiences and, uh, you know, and that's the same for other social medias that we already have flat screen me- medias. Yeah, I was I was really fascinated too, to see like the the differences in terms of like tech interfaces that people had for getting into VR chat. Like some people had really minute finger tracking for doing uh, American Sign Language. Some people mm. had full body tracking to basically uh, be exotic dancers in VR. Do you have a sense of like how were people typically engaging? Are those like the outliers, the people that have all that gear, or are people just jumping in with like a Quest headset connected to their PC? Uh, from your experience, like how are people really getting into VR chat? Oh, well, it's a, it's a variety. So, I mean, just to speak to just technically the platform, um, VR chat allows people on quest to join, but most of the content, um, surrounding VR chat, which is all user generated, uh, the worlds, the avatars, they're very high performance and they do require a PC in, in most situations. So actually those, uh, assets are not available to people using quest. So the, Quest experience is more limited in VR chat specifically. And when it came to shooting, we met in virtual reality and, you know, productions previous to that and probably my next um, productions, they're all in PC worlds, you know, worlds that are only accessible for people in PC VR. Um, And so most of the subjects of the film are all experienced daily VR users who have the full, full body tracking and, you know, great PCs um, who, who were able to handle the worlds that we were visiting and filming in. Um, also, it was important to me that, you know, we could really connect with the bodies of the subjects of the film. And, and ASL obviously requires a lot of attention to body language and, and the hands as well. So an attention to detail in communication there was really important to the film's communication and, and story. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the, the subjects of the film have full body tracking. And that was something that was important to me when deciding on what stories to tell. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I've done a lot of, uh, a lot of VR. I have not gone full to VR, uh, full body tracking yet, but it's very, just seeing what people can do here is kind oh, of intriguing. It, yeah. yeah. I, I would, I can happily speak to kind of as a director, cause I have uh-huh. full body tracking myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got it, you know, uh, in the summer of 2020 and, not only does it kind of just give you an, a, the ability to just move your legs and, and that's really fun, <laughs> um, but just in terms of, I think, directing and filmmaking, I've never felt more present in a space than when I first had my full body tracking on. It really helped me listen wholly to the people who are in the film and, and or anyone really, just being wholly immersed in that world and in that space I think allows you to listen to the people you're with in such a deeper, much more, much deeper sense than if you were just in half body uh, VR. Um, that's something that I experienced. Obviously you can still communicate just fine and do sign language um, without full body tracking. It's not a necessary thing, but um, it is something I hope will be more accessible to people because I love reading and listening to someone's body and, and having that you know, as, a, as another way to communicate with someone. Yeah, I mean, it would certainly be, uh, I think it would be useful for Facebook stuff too. Uh, I did one of those Horizon uh, work group things and Zuckerberg was sitting right next to me 
And if you look at the footage of that, I my avatar is just doing wild, wild things with my really? hand. Really? Oh, that's fantastic. It looks uh, it looks like I'm having a spasm next to you know billionaire Zuckerberg over there. So <laughs> it is uh, it's hilarious. I think that tech really needs to get there for sure. Um, can you talk about the production of this movie? Um, just because it it looks like it was you know shot with the typical camera. Mm. What VR camera tool are you using? Uh, do you have to hold it? Can you set it up somewhere? And what mm-hmm. sort of controls do you have? Because I was surprised at like how clear the rendering looked and how good like you could capture depth of field and things like that too. Mm-hmm. Yes, the the entire production of We Met in Virtual Reality was shot using a camera called VRC Lens, which is created by a member in the community called Hirobiki. Um, it's not a camera that's native to VR Chat, so it does require some um, um, some work in Unity and the game engine that VR Chat runs from to to really get it on your avatar and get it uploaded to the platform um but this camera was a huge motivator in wanting to shoot a feature film because it allowed me to um change lenses you know zoom in and out control my aperture change my mm-hmm. f-stop change my exposure i can it fly looks it good. as a drone yeah. oh well, that's good to know <laughs> mm-hmm. it, can, it looks great yeah the depth of field is it, it feels so genuine and is is you know so natural that you know is just an incredible tool to to have at my disposal. disposal. Um, and then it, just in terms of setup, I could place it down in, in space and have it as you know a still camera and just kind of move it as a tripod. Or I could shoot handheld and shooting handheld and controlling manual focus and having you know full freedom there um, allowed me to really build on realism and use observational storytelling formats in a very raw and natural way that we see in physical production processes and using that form of cinema to tell a story in uh in vr has been you know an amazing experience and i hope will realize i hope it will generate some reactions of you know that vr is, is such a tangible place um and i'm actually standing there behind the camera holding it (laughs) and i'm looking over my camera seeing the people i'm with and i'm present in that space and they see me holding the camera and understand that relationship you're you're like two inception levels deep there too because you're looking through a lens while you're wearing a headset tell me about it it is that's pretty wild (laughs) i also had my director's notes um my shoot plan and a clean feed um, of my camp because my monitor on the camera is actually covered in zebra and peaking and it's got all my um you know focus assist so i had a clean feed on a smartwatch on my arm that i was watching <laughs> as well so i was yeah deep in vr inception um that I didn't is... have to, but i didn't want to look under my headset i wanted to be fully there fully listening to the people i was with the entire time so yeah it was a workflow that i built and trained myself with uh yeah it was a uh, it was pretty incredible sometimes i'd sit back and realize what i'd crafted and the the kind of filmmaking i had that that now exists you know it's an amazing position to be at the forefront of this and that's really exciting i'm very grateful for it yeah you're definitely in a really unique niche right here last question for you joe um yeah this movie was i believe it was filled entirely over the pandemic from what it seems like um yeah, were yeah. You've also been a part of this community long before that. Did you find people leaning more on VR chat because yeah, we're, we're they're all kind of locked up. They can only do so much. Uh, where, where was it as strong before? Because I also get the sense that a lot of these people are also still longing to like see each other in real life. You know, VR chat mm. just seems like one step towards 
actually being together. So I'm wondering, um, is it just kind of filling like a chat room hole? Is it doing more than a chat room for people? What is mm. your sense of this? And yeah, what were things like before the pandemic too? Yeah, yeah. I think before the pandemic, my filmmaking felt a lot more experimental and playful. <laughs> and it still was, that was still an experience that's truthful to the, the feature film, but um, I didn't really quite consider or realize the the value of um, my own personal relationships, but the relationships that were existing in VR in general and the communities that had been built until the pandemic hit and we had that first lockdown. Um, you know, there was a sudden sense of community and very everyone was very aware that um, VR was uh, really important to us so suddenly and, and we were all very grateful for that. Um, I was filming a series at the time the new you know we've had our first lockdown and my relationship with everyone in that film and the crew um you know that became my life uh, I, did, I ended up working on that project full-time and that was the project that uh, i did before the feature and was really the, the decision to to make the feature so yeah the, the context of covid really made me kind of drop everything and and realize the full potential of being able to be immersed in a space a virtual space and, and be together in a very tangible and real way when we we can't do that in in the physical world and that set a groundwork for bringing audiences outside of vr into a film about this world and kind of understand the struggles that the subjects were facing uh, in their relationships and just in the world you know it's a situation that i think we can all relate to still to this day um uh, so it was kind of uh, an important moment that I felt I needed to capture. So it was a big motivator in, in doing the feature, me personally, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but also just in storytelling and realizing what themes were important in, in that moment in time. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know what, Joe? Thank you so much for chatting with us. Congrats on completing the film and getting it to Sundance. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, people talking about this. I want to chat about this movie. I want to chat about VR chat with everybody else, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. I'm, uh, I look forward to hopefully speaking again in the future. Thank you so much.